Welcome, friends. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Repro Film Podcast Series, part of the brand new Repro Periodical, which we deliver straight to your inbox every month. I'm your host, TEDx speaker, producer, and writer, Asha Dyer. And if you're new to the Repro Fam, in 2022, we change things up a bit. Each month in our newsletter, we include a link to a short film that centers our chosen theme, links to articles you should be reading right now, organizations you can support, and of course, my podcast interview with filmmakers and experts. We're all familiar with March being Women's History Month, but did you know it is also Endometriosis Awareness Month? If you didn't, don't worry, you are certainly not alone. In fact, despite the statistics that say one in 10 women in the US are living with endometriosis, many are suffering in silence. There are a number of reasons for this, ranging from lack of awareness to misdiagnosis and lack of funding for research toward endometriosis, all of which contribute to a widespread problem that deserves more education and amplification. So this is our theme for the month, and I'm super excited for our interviews in this periodical. It will actually be a two-part episode, and in this first part, I'll be speaking with Jenna Reich, the founder and executive director of an advocacy organization called the Endometriosis Coalition. Jenna has been a registered nurse for over a decade, working in internal medicine, trauma, kidney transplant, oncology, and leukemia bone marrow transplant. It took over four years, but Jenna's medical background gave her the knowledge and skills to navigate how to finally get good care after she was diagnosed with endometriosis. With her love for healthcare, education, and teaching, she felt inspired to use her abilities to help other women understand the disease better. She's also the author of Part of You, Not All of You, Shared Wisdom and Guided Journaling for Life with Chronic Illness. Jenna is originally from New Jersey and lives in Los Angeles. When asked why she felt so passionately about starting the Endometriosis Coalition, she says, Endometriosis is criminally under-researched and horribly misunderstood, and I want to be a part of changing that sooner rather than later. So let's get into this discussion. Jenna Reese, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Welcome to the Repro uh, Film Podcast. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about the Endometriosis Coalition, your role as co-founder and the mission behind it. The Endometriosis Coalition was founded in 2017 with the mission to raise awareness, promote reliable education and increase research funding for endometriosis. Um, I decided to start the Endoco after my own journey with being diagnosed for endometriosis. As a nurse, I found it really difficult to find resources that were reliable and accurate and credible. And I know that I was looking at things from a nursing perspective with a research background. Um, so I knew that some of the things that I was finding, either the research was really outdated or the sample sizes were really small. It just didn't seem like things that I could reliably say, this is what the most current up-to-date info is on endo. And I had to do a lot of digging to really find what was what. I was running into so many practitioners that didn't really understand the disease and weren't really up to date about it. Yeah. And so I figured if I had this much trouble, I can't imagine how much more trouble for someone who's not me and doesn't have my background. And so I really just wanted to create a space to one, raise more awareness because so many people still don't know what the disease is. 
um, within the medical population and within the general public. And to also have a place where you could go to where you knew that the information was going to be reliable, that you could trust that I vetted it well. <laughs> um, and so you don't have to second guess, is this true or is this not? And then from the research side, you know, we need more research funding. So that one's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, I want to get into the research bit in a little bit, but I can imagine it would have been frustrating for you as someone who found out they have endometriosis and also being in the medical profession as well, not seeing as much tools um, at your availability. Can, can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, a lot of people are always surprised when I share that I never learned about it in nursing school. Is it part of some curriculums now? Maybe, but it was not part of mine. My um, women's health rotation was very focused on mother baby type of thing. So I know all about pregnancy, but I don't know anything about pelvic pain. <laughs> so the first time I even heard of endometriosis was when it was suspected that I might have it. Um, and in that, I think being part of the medical community, I was just so trusting of the practitioners because they were practically colleagues. And I didn't really think I needed to do my own research until I got a little further into things and saw that there were just so many myths and misconceptions about the disease. And so when you interact with patients now, can you direct them to the Endo Coalition and uh, what kind of resources uh, uh, do you use now commonly? There are a few kind of grassroots nonprofits that are doing the same kind of work that we're doing just in different areas to try to just really get the right word out there. So we always forward them to places like um, Endo What, which is an organization that created a documentary to learn about endometriosis. It's like my number one resource to tell people because especially for visual learners, it really is easily digestible and gets all the facts straight. And then we really like to use uh, the Center for Endometriosis Care as a resource. They're a specialty center in Atlanta who only focuses on endometriosis work and they have an incredible database of education and research on their website. So those are the two main places that we send people. And then the third one is Endopedia, which was um, a resource created by Dr. David Redwine, who was kind of the pioneer of some of the most leading um, treatments, excision surgery for endometriosis. He's like the OG um, and created this wonderful database of information. And those were all places that I had no idea existed when I was looking for myself. Uh, so those places, we point everyone to them whenever they're asking us about endo. Well, it sounds like if anyone who potentially has endo comes to you, they kind of hit the jackpot and are able to get to all those resources. So it's great. And we'll definitely share links to uh, the places you mentioned. Um, so let's break it down to like brass tacks, as they say. What are some of the statistics uh, around endometriosis? And are those accurate, given the fact that there may be, you know, silence and stigma around it? Sure. We don't have a ton of statistics because we don't have a ton of research. Oh, okay. um, so the main one that you'll hear is that endometriosis affects one in 10 women of reproductive age. We actually think it's a lot higher than that and that so many people are undiagnosed or misdiagnosed. So they're not counted in that percentage. Um, so we don't have really a great way of knowing what the exact number is. One in 10 is a lot of people. And to think that there is probably way more than that um, is kind of shocking. And then another statistic is that it takes an average of seven to 10 years from symptom onset to diagnosis, which is just way too long. Yeah, that's a decade of someone's life almost. That's insane. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned funding before and how 
finding those accurate statistics is related back to funding. Tell me about, there's a quote that I love in your bio on your website where you said endometriosis is criminally underfunded. Let's talk about that. Over the years, when you look at, and specifically talking about the US because that's where we are, when you look at the National Institute of Health research funding, endometriosis for years has gotten significantly less money than diseases that affect about the same number of people from what we know, like asthma and diabetes. And I mean, significant differences in funding. Um, We've gotten a little more over the last four years due to some members of Congress who have pushed for funding, but we're still so far behind every other disease. And what can potentially make a difference? What can people listening potentially do to help change that status quo, if at all, anything? Sure. I think talking about the disease, getting involved in, in trying to reach out to your local legislators to get this cause in front of their face so that they can represent it for you. This is definitely one of those diseases that it's just not talked about enough. And we can go into all the reasons why I believe that is, but I almost feel like it's something that so many people don't even know is happening um, to so many women around the world. Yeah. And I think a lot of the, like with a lot of issues that are where there's misconceptions or, you know, myths related to it, a lot of the times it's personal storytelling that really opens up the floodgates and for more people to become aware of what's happening. So um, March being Endometriosis Awareness Month, we are highlighting a short film called Endo and it's out of the UK, but it's a short narrative film and there's definitely relatable themes to it no matter where you're based. Talk to us about how films, and you mentioned a documentary um, a few minutes ago, how can films and documentaries be part of potentially raising awareness about endo? They're so important, especially in this digital age that we're in where, I hate to say it, people's attention span (laughs) for digesting, you know, content that's just like paper to pen is just really short. So I think films are a really great way to capture an audience that needs to visually see things to really be captivated and understand them. And I think it kind of bridges that gap between just the population that it affects and people that we need as allies to help us and that it's so much easier for me to just send you a film to watch than to send you research articles for you to try to understand. So it really kind of gives us a tool to advocate and spread awareness in a way that most people can understand. One of the best parts of Endo, the film that I I love, um, and I know you've seen it as well, there are these recurring images of the shape of a uterus made out of items of food. So there's a papaya, there's a soft boiled egg, which gets squeezed to indicate, you know, different types of pain. And I think spaghetti noodles for the the top of the uterus, I'm probably butchering the the parts of the uterus, but, (laughs) you know, just that visual aspect of showing what it's like to to feel that pain. Um, As someone who has endo, someone who's a nurse and and having watched this film, what do you like most about that visual aspect of seeing that, um, the uterus in pain? Yeah, I think it's, really cool to give a picture to it because, you know, diseases like endo where the pain and suffering is internal and people can't really see it. It's really hard to empathize with how someone might be feeling. Someone whose leg is or arm is broken will get way more empathy from people than I do just sharing what is going on with me in the inside. We like need these visual representations to really be able to process as humans, I believe. So to have a film that shows that is just really, really powerful. Yeah. What are some common myths or misconceptions around endo that you hear 
in your line of work and, and, and as someone who has endometriosis? I would say the main misconception and is the, defi- the actual definition of endometriosis and that it's sad to me that we can't even get this basic thing right. Mm. And it's difficult for those of us that advocate because it seems like such a nuanced small thing, but the ramifications of getting the definition wrong is pretty big. And so we've learned over years that the cells that make up endometriosis are not exactly the same as the cells that line the uterus. They're similar to, and that little phrase similar to is so important to get right because it kind of drives the force for what treatments are going to be effective. If we are looking at this disease that we think is exactly the same as the uterine lining, we have suggestions for things like hysterectomy, just get rid of the uterus and then you'll be fine, but it's not the same tissue and it acts differently. And then when we talk about hormone suppression, those hormones that we use to suppress a period won't work in the exact same way on an endometriosis cell. And so understanding that they're similar, but different is really, really, really important when it comes to treatment. I would also say the idea that it only affects the pelvic region. Uh, To date, endometriosis has been found in every single organ in the body. Wow. Yes. It has been found in fetuses. So it's not just this disease of menstruation or some of these theories that it's just the period going backwards into a woman's body, the places that it's been found, that theory just doesn't, just doesn't make sense for it to be possible. So like my endometriosis was in my diaphragm. I really highly doubt that it got there through a backflow of period blood. Like it just doesn't really. <laughs> Sounds so ridiculous really when you say it like that. Exactly. So more developed but we don't have the research into these things is the idea that there might be some type of genetic factor and there might be some type of um, stem cell factor where we're born with these cells and something either triggers it to go on or it stays dormant for a while. Like these are the things that we would love more research on to find out what's the best way to treat this. Um, Another myth is that menopause cures endometriosis or that pregnancy cures endometriosis. I've heard the pregnancy one. Yeah. Yeah. So for pregnancy, when there is a shift in hormones, a lot of women will see some relief in their symptoms, but the disease is still there. So once pregnancy is over and things go back to normal, they'll find that they're usually right back where they were before pregnancy. And then with hysterectomy, like we briefly touched on, the lesions are outside of the uterus. So removing my uterus is not going to solve the problem for lesions that are on my colon or my bladder or my diaphragm. So just removing the uterus is not the solution to curing endometriosis. And then another one that I think is really important is the idea that endometriosis only affects um, women in reproductive age, like women who have the disease and it wasn't treated in those reproductive years through menopause will still have the disease. And then um, young girls before they even reach their menses can show symptoms of the disease. So a lot of people are told they're too young to have endometriosis or they're too old to have endometriosis and neither of those things are true. It's, it's, yeah, like you said, it's just, I'm trying to formulate my thoughts. It feels like it it goes (laughs) back to that funding and research and really, Mm -hmm. you know, all these governing bodies putting more, you know, education into that. So yeah, I think that's really, really important. Thank you for sharing all the, that information. I think that's super, super, really, super important. Of course. Um, as with so many reproductive issues right now, there is an added layer often linked to racism, whether that is within the healthcare system or historical bias that is present today, especially in the US. 
What can you tell us about how this affects women of colour today in regard to endometriosis and were there any experiences you can share as a woman of colour? Of course. So endometriosis actually way back in the day was known as a white working woman's disease. Wow. That was the profile that they felt was the majority of people who had endometriosis. And what that did years later, even to this day, is that is that is the idea that a lot of practitioners have is that my typical endometriosis patient is a young white working woman. And to this day, there were actually some really renowned medical institutions that had that on their website as a risk factor was being white, a white woman Mm -hmm. until some really great advocates petitioned to have them remove it because it's so outdated and so false. So that, that false belief still follows us today that if I, as a woman of color come in and I'm complaining of pelvic pain, a doctor is more likely to dismiss it as like pelvic inflammatory disease than they would be to inquire whether it's endometriosis, which is huge. So then we're having a lot of misdiagnosis um, and delaying diagnosis happening. Also, there's definitely a socioeconomic um, factor when it comes to endometriosis research. We're not really seeing many women of color or people of color involved in the research. So the statistics that we cite very well may not even be applicable to Mm. all women, likely majority white women were used in the research. Um, A lot of them require diagnosis to be part of research. And a lot of people of color come from areas that are disproportionately affected in healthcare and don't have access to the same healthcare and aren't getting diagnosis through surgery. So they don't even qualify for some of this research, which is, which is really important. And then when it comes to treating pain, Um, there's definitely a different experience for people of color. Uh, Their pain is usually dismissed more often. And there's actually belief amongst a lot of practitioners that people of color experience pain differently than other people do. That inherently our bodies don't process it the same way. And so our tolerance is different than someone else's would be. So we're, we're less likely to be medicated correctly, which is just terrible. Um, For myself, I think I got lucky in that I was a person of color who also had a medical background. And so there was less bias towards me. And I think there was more belief in what I had to say because the knowledge that I had and where I worked was very reputable. Um, So I didn't get really any doubt from that perspective. I think I got more doubt just being a woman, if I'm being honest, than just because of race. I think that that was a way bigger part of it for me. It definitely becomes like this catch-22, you know, we need a more diverse population being studied and researched, but that population isn't going to be reached out to because of all these biases. And exactly. It's just crazy. And, you know, you mentioned the women's pain in general isn't believed mm-hmm. and, you know, that's such a widespread pervasive belief and yeah. it's been written about it in the New York Times mm-hmm. and people sharing their individual stories. And so yeah. it really feeds, feeds into this larger problem that we have when it comes to women's bodies and pain and getting the correct care. So mm-hmm. I really admire the work that you are all doing through the EndoCo, EndoCo, because it's easier to say that endometriosis. Co- that's, endometriosis that's, that's, that's why we created the short name. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, it's good awareness. Um, and so as, as we wrap up here, and for someone who thinks they may have endometriosis, how would you encourage them to find the right information? How would you advise them to advocate for themselves with their doctor? 
sadly, this isn't a disease where a simple Google search is going to lead you to the right place usually. And that's where most people will start. And it's not usually until going down all the wrong paths that they find the right path after being led to dead ends. Um, so our goal is to kind of shorten that time between finding the right information by just being really loud about this disease and putting it out there as much as we can to point people towards the resources, like I told you before, like Endo One and Nancy's Nook and Endopedia and the Center for Endometriosis Care, so that that's the first place they're getting their information and knowledge from, from websites like us that are directing you in the right direction. Um, I think that the more those of us who have it talk about it and do things like this and speaking with people like you where we can drop this information so it's becoming more common knowledge, uh, the better off someone looking for a diagnosis will be. Um, but I would say the first place to start if you think you might have endometriosis is obviously to let your healthcare practitioner know. And that sounds like an obvious thing to do, but I think because of this misconception that periods are just supposed to be really painful, a lot of people don't even bring it up to their doctors because they feel like, oh, this is just part of being a woman, which excruciating pain should not be part of being a woman. My rule of thumb is always, if it keeps you from having a social life, going to work, going to school, that is not a normal amount of pain. You know, um, cramps shouldn't keep you from living your life. So if you're at that point where you're constantly having to miss things and you can't function, that is not a normal level of pain and needs to be assessed. Yeah, absolutely. And where can we learn more about the work that you're doing and how can people support? You can follow us on all of our social accounts, which is just at theendo.co. Um, our website is full of resources at um, www.theendo.co. We have a lot of things in the pipeline for our community coming soon, a ways for people to get involved and support. So just keep an eye on our pages. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jenna, for sharing all this information, for sharing your story. I think it's, I, I've definitely been enlightened and educated. So I'm, I'm excited to research more on the endo.co and uh, keep up the great work beyond just March. I know this is an, an important issue all year round. So thank you for the work that you're doing. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So much great information from Jenna in this interview. I deeply admire the work she is doing in raising awareness about endometriosis. If you want to learn more about her organization or get in touch, head to www.theendo.co, which we'll also put in the periodical links and show notes. Stay tuned for part two of this month's episode, where I will be speaking with UK-based writer and filmmaker Elaine Gracie from the highly acclaimed short narrative film Endo. And check out the film in this month's email. As always, head to www.reprofilm.org to subscribe to the periodical if you haven't already. Share with your network and join our Repro fam. Bye for now.